Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Process Potables. This episode is episode 40, Jerky Furky from Turkey. Process Potables is happy to be a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia podcast network. You can find all things Underground Sports Philly at Underground PHI on Twitter. Please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, write a review, everything like that. And you can follow us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and on Tapped at Process Potables. Joining me today is reoccurring and favorite guest of the show, Ty Albert. Ty, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. Happy to be here. Happy that Furkan Korkmaz is permanently in that rotation, so I'm excited to talk. This is going to be a heavy Furkan Korkmaz episode. I say that knowing that many people may turn it off at this point, but it's only fair that you know that once you hear Ty's name on the pod and the success that Furkan has been having, if you already haven't seen it from the Process Potable social media, from my social media, and from Ty's social media, then you knew that this was coming. You knew that we were going to be unbearable, and we're here to just tell everybody that we were, we were right, right. Yeah, that we were absolutely right, and you and, were wrong, and you were wrong, and it feels so goddamn good. So we're going to kind of talk about him along with the last three games since we've done the last episode. So Sixers have gone one and two since then. They pulled off the amazing win in Portland, which was the official pop the cork coming out party for Furkan Korkmaz. Although he did have a really good game against Minnesota as well. Uh, we just kind of beat that ass, so no one really paid any mind to how good anybody played. Uh, all we really wanted to talk about was the fight, and rightfully so. But without Embiid getting the win in Portland, Korkmaz, they run the same play that they ran for Marco Bellinelli in that second round series against the Celtics where they blew the confetti too early. And Bellinelli, who Sixers fans have pondered for over and over, put his foot on the line and didn't even hit the three, while Korkmaz made sure to stay inbounds, make sure he was set up from three, and sink that thing to actually win the game. Yeah, he's kind of like if Marco Bellinelli was good and... I, I think that Furkan, he was the guy like the whole way from that play. A lot of people were like wondering if maybe the the play broke down or he was like the second or third option. But I think Brett called that play for him because he knew that he was going to bury it. Like he ended up doing. I don't think I don't think the team had any doubt that Furkan was gonna he was gonna rise up and and bang that shot, win the game because he's clutch. That's what he does. He's an absolute baller. And I I don't know. I peaked in that moment. I called Dan right away. Uh, to, you know, make sure that I didn't imagine that Korkmaz hit that game winner. But it turned out it was real. We celebrated, and it was awesome. Yeah, I was at a Halloween party Saturday night, and I made them put the game on for a little bit. And then once they got down, I think they were down like 21 at one point. Everybody was like, oh, we want to play Jackbox. We want to use the TV. Like, this game is over. And I was like, like I don't really turn games off Like it, when, I'm, when I'm watching them at home even. Like, I, I normally will sit through the torture and deal with it. One, because, you know, I, I just want to watch the games, and two, because I obviously have to do my research for this podcast. And I was like, you know, it's not my like it's not my house. I'm at this party, like fine. Like you guys can have the TV, whatever. So I pulled it up on my phone. It hangs around like twenty one. Gets late in the third and I'm like, all right, like I should just enjoy the party. Like it's Saturday night. Am I really gonna sit here on my phone and watch the fourth quarter of them lose to twenty on the road? So I maybe spend three minutes off my phone, and I get like three texts like, you're still watching the game, right? And I'm like, no, I turned it off. They're like, put it back on. They're coming back. Like, multiple people are telling me this. Like, they, like somehow people saw this coming, and I was like, okay, fine, fuck it. So I literally had to go put myself in another room, pull up my phone, and stream the game. 
And then I like came out to get a beer for like, like after Simon's hit that three in the corner, I went out and had to get a beer because I was just ready to start drinking to deal with the loss. And I'm watching that play and Korkmaz hits the three and I like collapse to the four floor and I'm screaming like, like a child screaming, kicking my feet, losing my mind. And then my phone starts going off and I'm like, who the fuck is calling me? Like, I'm not answering this. Like, there's no one in the world that I need to talk to right now. And yet, oh my God, it's Ty. Yo! <laughs> it was, I would not, my, my mother could have been calling me from the hospital and I wasn't picking up the phone, but I saw your name and I had to answer that shit. Yeah, it was just like, I saw it happen and I don't know, you think back to July and the episode we recorded about, and, uh, about free agency and about, I don't know what were we even talking about. Just the potential of getting Corver, and and we said, if if you wanted somebody like that, Corver's washed. You should have just picked up Corkmaz's option, and then they came back and they signed Corkmaz because they couldn't get Corver. And you know, Corver's playing well to start the year, but he would have never made the confetti shot like Corkmaz did. He would have never made the game winner, and there's no way you can disprove that, which is <laughs> which is great for us, and. Yeah, as soon as that went in, I was like, all right, I got to call Dan because we were right. We were right about Corkmaz. It just feels so good to be right. Oh, yeah. Nothing is better. We've never been wrong. So there were a couple. So I guess I'll start with the good Corkmaz Twitter because most of this was after he hit that game winner. So these are some of the tweets that I found under good Furk on Corkmaz Twitter. I'm sorry for bad-mouthing you, King, at Furk on Corkmaz. I take back everything bad I said about about Furcon Corkmaz. They wrote about twice. Uh, I'm reading it as it is. At Joel Embiid, hurts at Furcon Corkmaz potential because he hogs the ball and takes the most highly contested mid-range jumpers when he could just pass the ball out when he is contested in the paint and let the open three fly. I have something to say about that. I was about they ne- it seems like they don't pass the ball to him ever. Like, Corkmaz, especially in the first couple games... It seemed like he was standing there, like, wide open, jumping, doing jumping jacks, and they still wouldn't give him the ball. And well, sure. I, I think that, you know, he he had to earn the spot a little bit. I can see that. Yeah, that's fair. But still, he's a, a superstar So, in yeah, the I mean, he played, he played almost 20 minutes in the opener. He only had two shots. The next two games, he played one eight minutes, one 12 minutes. He shot three times in each. And then is the Minnesota game. He shot 10 times. And since then... 10, 9, 13, and then only four last night in the loss of the Jazz. So not really involved in that one as much either, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because they were down, and you would think he'd be able to find more minutes, especially when Ben only played 10, but we'll kind of get to that. But the last one <clears throat> the last one I wanted to get to for good Corkmaz Twitter, and I will say who this was because they're a frequent guest of the podcast as well, is our friend Eric Marcherano. Al Horford makes Furcon Corkmaz look like Jason Tatum. Where, is he wrong? No. Well, yeah, because Tatum's not that good. Oh, that's that's true. What was that after that one? Uh, that one really nice pass that that Horford made to Corkmaz, and then he went and like laid it up or dunked it or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, he yeah, he's right. Al Horford, he brings the best out of Corkmaz. Oh, I think Horford had had the feed the Corkmaz when Corkmaz put that hammer down. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, it that's was. probably what it was. Corkmaz. Hasn't dunked since I don't know since he wore the Darth Vader mask since Europe. He hasn't dunked since Europe, so that was pretty cool to see. 
I Horford dunks now too, which is crazy. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I he, he like caught a body. I think the other you texted day. me. You're like, I didn't know he could dunk. Yeah, but I, I was like, me he either. did. He did one in the opener, and it surprised me. But going into this year, I was like, I, I had no idea was that it, he could dunk. Was it Phoenix or Utah that he had that like put that one handed? That put was back? in that was in Phoenix. I think he caught a that was body. Absurd. That was the it, same as the Embiid one last year. Like he's Al so Horford's old. doing Joel Embiid thing, except. You know, Embiid couldn't keep his footing and he fell down. Oh, Horford, yeah. Horford's more coordinated. Oh, yeah, Horford was just there. He, uh, <laughs> so old. Back to Korkmaz. After the Portland game, obviously he was getting to to say all the things and doing the interviews in the post game. Korkmaz said, quote, I know that everybody likes me. They support me every time, and it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Everybody has some ups and downs, but at, at the end of the day, I know everybody likes me here. They did, they didn't even want to sign him. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I wanted to make sure that we talked about this because it's so weird that he says everybody likes me here, bro. I'm not. Maybe the players do. Like I don't know. The players they did go out and like Embiid wasn't at the game, but he tweeted something about it, and Ben posted the picture of him on Instagram with like with like the the third picture is my mood, and then it was just Furkan's Kirk, face, Korkmaz with a shit eating grin on his face, and then. Uh, Richardson said, called him whatever he called him, which was funny. Uh, another quote from Korkmaz was, "I don't about the shot. I don't know what to say. That's the biggest shot I've ever made. Yeah, I mean, what's bigger? I can't think of anything. His balls. <laughs> <laughs> what shot? For hitting that shot. What shot? What shot would be bigger? Like I, I can't pick one out. Maybe yeah, well, the yeah, summer he, league fortieth <laughs> point. Like what? That was." It was awesome. He had a game winner in the NBA. It's like a dream come true. I think they said that was his first go-ahead field goal in the fourth quarter of any NBA game of his career. Wow. Well, Which makes sense because he hasn't had much playing time. Yeah, the only time he was really getting into many fourth quarters was, uh, garbage, time. was garbage time. Other than there was a stretch of last year where he was in the rotation and playing pretty well for a period of time. Yeah, I think it was around this time. I think it was around like December that, that happened because when I looked up a lot of these tweets, a lot of the ones that were kind of positive about him were basically around that time, which I think was around when they didn't pick up the option. And then he started getting minutes and playing well. People were like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it seems like when he gets consistent playing time, like going back to last year and then again this year, now that he's playing, he's like legitimately a capable player. Like not our annoyingness aside, like when he's getting consistent minutes, he plays pretty well. And I you know, it's a good thing to see because you didn't know exactly where the shooting was going to come from, especially off the bench. And it's good to see that they have somebody that um, looks at least reliable off the bench. Yeah. So to this point now, this will be current as of today and before the Nuggets game, depending on when you're listening to. So after the Utah game, before the Nuggets game is we're recording this on Thursday, Kormaz is playing 20 minutes a game this season. He's shooting... 41.9% 41.9% from three. So 42% from three. Uh, he's shooting 80% from the line. He's only getting there like once a game. But turnovers under one a game. He's averaging eight points, which when you figure the, the slow start, you know, over the last four games, he, he's averaging double digits, basically. Uh, he's he's found himself as one of the first guys, if not the first guy off the bench. He started last night in Utah uh, in, in lieu of Matisse Thibel. He's generally been on the court at the end of games, as we saw in Portland hitting the winner. It's just crazy how 
how the slander stopped so quickly and how right we were. I can't say it enough. I don't know what to say because I just can't stop smiling because we were so right. Something I want to point out is like his defense has also looked pretty all right for the most part, uh, especially going back to the, the Portland game. Uh, he took a big charge on, on Lillard, which was huge. It seems like he must have picked that up from, uh, from Ilyasova during the, during the summer playing, yes. playing in the Olympics and all or not the Olympics, in the World Cup. Some other plays he made, he had that block or strip of Hazonia, which was pretty big. And just overall, he's looked a l- just a little more sturdy and not just flying around and not being able to, to handle anybody. Like, he's still not a good defender, but he's holding his own a little bit more, which was really good to see. He's more capable than J.J. Redick ever was, and the Sixers were generally able to hide him I, other than Redick in the playoffs last year yeah Redick was good in the playoffs right last yeah year. I mean we we said that on this podcast several times and I stand by that but other than that he was pretty fucking awful and he looks awful in New Orleans uh so like I'm very happy that we have Fergard Korkmaz in that role right now sticking with the Portland game before we move on Al Horford led the team with 25 points and we talked about the fact that we weren't sure about him being able to dunk or anything but I just can't believe that He's doing what he's doing in in all regards. His defense is rebounding. The minutes he's playing, he he hasn't sat a game yet. Like he has been the absolute anchor. I credit him more than anyone for the five and zero start, and I give him little to the least blame for the two losses. I mean, he didn't shoot great last night. We'll get to the Jazz game, but for the most part, I mean, you cannot say enough about what he's doing. But I mean, how much of it is sustainable? I think we know it's not sustainable. Right, unless you disagree, but um, yeah, I don't know if it's completely sustainable. I think he's still going to be really good. I've liked what I've seen from him so far in regards to he's willing to just let it fly from three, which is kind of cool. He's and, averaging five attempts a game. His career high is three and a half. Yeah, exactly. He's just he's just pulling it, which is a good thing because their shooting is suspect from three, and uh, I I think that that's a big key him being able to space the floor and knock down some threes for them because who you know who else really is other than Tobias Harris consistently. Yeah, he's shooting 35% from three, and just for frame of reference, he's averaging 17 points a game. There's only two years of his career where he's averaged more than that, so he's on pace for the third highest scoring season of his career when I think a lot of people thought that he would take a step back because of how many good players he was going to play around and what this offense was going to look like. But it's very clear that he's he's getting his attempts in and that they're they're letting him shoot. They want him to shoot. Uh, a lot of that stems from Ben Simmons not wanting to shoot and I think from Josh Richardson's offensive struggles and also three of the seven games so far without Embiid. Yeah, there was, you know, Horford's been really good to start, but there was one point in the game last night where I think, they went to Al Horford post-ups like four possessions in a row for all misses. And I was like, wow, this is the worst basketball I've ever watched. But other than like that one sequence, I've really been impressed with what I've seen from him. He's been, he's been really good, like completely as advertised, if not better. 
Yeah, the Wolves game and the Portland game specifically were two where I think a lot of people were upset about the amount of times that the Sixers didn't actually run an offensive set and basically just went into the post and had somebody work one-on-one. And we talk about the size of this team all the time and the skill level for what it's worth because they're all very talented players. And obviously we know Embiid and and Horford are, are great post players, but... I do think there's something to be said that there's they're really gonna have to we we knew this was gonna be an issue. They're they're gonna have to figure out half court sets that they can run that actually work for the players that they have, which again is very difficult. It's not I don't think it's necessary that Brett Brown doesn't have them or that he can't really create, you know, offensive schemes. We saw him run a great play again to to get that bucket in the end of the Phoenix or Portland game. But there's only so much you can do with a point guard that won't shoot and rotating in a lot of bench players that can't shoot other than Furkan Korkmaz, like Matisse Thibel and like James Ennis. Josh Richardson's been struggling. Last night was hopefully a breakout game for him against the Jazz, but Portland was the first game, and it'll move us into the Suns game as well, where we really saw an elite scorer get his own in Damian Lillard, and we're now on a trend uh, between Lillard, Booker, and to a, a much lesser degree than those two, Donovan Mitchell, Kind of having their way. Mitchell only at 24, and I got a bunch of grief on Twitter today just for trying to talk mildly positive about him, which I I knew I probably shouldn't have done. But I've slammed him so much, and the numbers don't really reflect it. But watching that game, like I thought he played a pretty good game. He went on his own 8-0 run in the first quarter when they were down like six to put them up, and then Sixers basically never got back in it. They let they ran the same play. He hit four pull-up mid-range jumpers in a row, and he and they were so clean. And it's like. There's not a single guy on the Sixers that I would bet any amount of money that they can hit four pull-up mid-range jumpers in a row. None of them. It's crazy. So you can argue that mid-range jumpers are inefficient, and you can argue that Donovan Mitchell's inefficient or Devin Booker or whomever, but like there is a time and a place where somebody's got to be able to hit that shot, and, and that's what NBA defenses are trying to force people to take, and they say they'll live with losing to it, but you just lost to it. And no one seems okay with the loss now, so I don't necessarily think that that theory holds up once it's actually applied. Yeah, um, to to that point there, uh, Mitchell, he did hit some big shots, especially early on in that game, uh, hitting four in a row, like you said. But um, the way Booker cooked them, especially in the second half, it felt a little different. It kind of felt like they were playing at least all right defense on him, and he just didn't really miss uh, because he's very, very good, and that's just what happens sometimes. 15 of 19 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3. Yeah, so like... It's 79% from the field and 75% from 3. Yeah, it, it didn't It didn't feel like they were even playing awful defense. It just felt like one of those games where sometimes a player that good will just go off, and I think that's what, what the Suns game kind of was, especially in the second half. So, But I, I do think there's a point. They've dealt with it in the past, like good guards have really cooked them, and they're going to have to figure out a way to to stop players like that. And Ricky Rubio shot 3 of 5 from 3. Hell, Ricky Rubio sucks, dude. I hate – I like, that's the thing that made me the, the maddest about that game was that he had a good game. The Sixers only had three people in double figures. Can you guess who they are? In the in the Jazz game? In the Suns game. Oh, in the Suns game. Korkmaz? Uh, Korkmaz? Horford and ooh, that's tough. Is it was did he start? Uh, Harris. Yeah, the only three players in double digits. They all had twenty or more. 
Furcon Corkmaz, <laughs> Al Horford, Tobias Harris. Some no might argue, scored, no some might argue the three best Sixers. Some might argue in that game because Embiid wasn't playing. No. Just the best Sixers. <laughs> so that was the first loss. We were the last undefeated team. That felt good. We knew it wouldn't last forever. I think everyone pretty much knew they were losing at least one on that road. this road trip. Uh, one and two going into Denver tomorrow night. But the Jazz game, they lose 106-104. And Bede's finally back. And he didn't shoot well from the field, but it sure seemed like he had a pretty good game. And it sucks because I'm just having this week where I'm I'm having to say nice things about a bunch of players that I love talking shit on. Like Booker had an incredible game. I, I had to respect it. I thought Mitchell played a good game. Gobert had a pretty good game against Joel Embiid. Like there are a lot of times that he gave him a lot of trouble. Embiid looked like he had him beat a lot. And something that I don't recall seeing from Gobert much in his past history with Embiid that he did several times last night was Embiid would get a step on him and Gobert just recovered and caught up to him and still got a hand near him on him, blocked the shot. I mean, sometimes fouled him. Embiid got to the line plenty. Obviously, he fouled out Gobert late in the fourth, so he did get what he wanted. He ended with 27 points, but he did that shooting 5 of 16 from the field. He made all his money from the line, which is great. 16 of 18. I feel like he's absolutely stepped up his free throw shooting uh, tremendously. But another game where you're super top-heavy and there's not much else. So Howell Neto had 11, and then after that, you've got three guys in double figures, Embiid, Harris, and Richardson. This was the first night that Horford really struggled, 3 of 14 from the field. I think that's an outlier. I think we're generally going to get more of what we saw first six games in that one. And then now we have to deal with this Ben Simmons injury. Played 10 minutes and then left. It's some some kind of shoulder sprain. It's saying he's day-to-day, but he's definitely out against the Nuggets. If he's out for even a week or two, what do you think that does to this team? I think it's going to hurt them a lot, especially uh, on their defense. I think he's such an important part of uh, the defense they play because he's so versatile. And he, he like he, he's a defensive uh, first-team First team all defensive uh, NBA player in the making. Uh, maybe not this year, but at some point he'll have to be up there because of just the his length and uh, his ability to guard one, one through five if he had to. Uh, so that's somewhere where it's going to hurt them. Um, but I think in other ways they may be able to make up for it. He is, obviously, despite maybe what you've read on Twitter, he's still a really excellent uh, offensive player, and uh, he he's super important to their offense, especially in transition. But um, we're we're gonna have to see some uh, some mix ups in the half court sets that they run. Uh, maybe uh, we'll see a little bit of Trey Burke going forward. I'm not actually sure. Has he even played yet this season? No. And it was funny because I believe it was the Wolves game because that's the only one that they were pretty much blowing them out. That they actually like released to the press that was at the game with only like four minutes left in the game that Trey Burke was unavailable with illness, which like you would have expected him to go in in garbage time. And it wasn't until the point that he probably would have gone in that there was some kind of press release that he was all of a sudden not available. I don't think he's going to play. I have the feeling he's going to ask for a release. Maybe. I, I I thought I saw that he got sick and like left in the middle of the game or something. I don't know. 
it just seems really weird that that happens yeah at the one point in the season to that point where you would expect him to actually get to go out there and get some run and it kind of just leads me to be like no i'm not going out there now this is not what i signed up for yeah that's that's fair um i i don't know i don't think he's really that good to begin with uh so it wouldn't be a huge loss. I still am not exactly sure why they signed him and didn't just leave that roster spot open. I mean, you can you can get rid of him. I think yeah. they wanted to have the competition between him and Neto. I think they weren't sure what either was. I think, obviously, Neto seems like he's done enough to get in Brett's good graces. He's looked okay when he's out there. Uh, the Jazz game, you know, getting extended run without Ben. Like I said, he was one of four players in double digits, so he seemed like he at least was able to run the offense a little bit. I think the more he gets the play will be better for him. And he's allegedly a good three-point shooter, I believe, for his career, short career and probably small sample size, but I believe he's something around 40%. So uh, theoretically, he could help our three-point shooting, which obviously we're going to need. The other person I wanted to talk about was Tobias Harris because no one seems to actually know whether he's playing well, whether they are happy with the contract so far. And I, I'm kind of indifferent. I think he's played pretty well. I think he could obviously play better, but I'm not trying to trash anybody. But I just want to make sure that, like, you're hearing the right things about what he's actually doing well and what he's not. Here's what I'll tell you. His field goal percentage, just regular field goal percentage, is just over 50%. That would be a career high. And that's on almost 15 attempts a game. So his overall efficiency in scoring is up there. Over 50% from the field for a guy who's like a shooter is pretty good. I think that especially in the games without Embiid, you saw a lot of Tobias actually attacking the rim. You saw several and one opportunities, especially in Phoenix and last night with the Jazz. Both games, I saw several times him attack the rim and finish through contact and go to the line, which is great. I've talked about this repeatedly since he became a sixer. And in the offseason when I wrote an article about maybe he shouldn't be the guy that we re-sign and whatnot. And talked about that his three-point shooting with the Sixers was terrible. I believe in games he played with Embiid, he shot under 30%, if I recall from my article correctly. Well, it was a couple months ago. But if it was if it was over 30, it was like 30 to 31%. I think he shot, well, I can tell you, he shot 32 points. 32.6% from three in his games with the Sixers. I know that was significantly lower in the games where Embiid did play. So it's probably under 30. He's shooting 31% this year. So it hasn't been any better. Again, it's a small sample size. Everything we talk about is small sample size. Obviously, we're seven games into the season, but the numbers are what they are. People used the same argument last year. Oh, he was only here for 20 or 30 games. It's a small sample size. Well, at some point, it just becomes what it is. It becomes the fact that in two different offenses, in two different versions of this team, he has failed to be even an average three-point shooter. When he came from the Clippers, he was shooting 43% as a Clipper. It doesn't make any sense. Why doesn't the shot just fall now? He's shooting 77% from the line when he's an 82% shooter for his career. He shot 87% in both years as a clipper. Went down to 84 when he came here and now is under 80. And there's usually a correlation between free throw percentage and three-point shooting percentage. So he seems like he's getting to the rim more, which is bumping that field goal percentage, but the distance shots are not falling for him. And he's 
the guy of the starting five that I think we all would say we came into the season expecting to take the most of them and to be the best at it. And he's not. Yeah, I I completely agree that like he was the guy that everyone thought would be taking all the outside shots. Everybody thought should be taking them. Um, and they're not falling and they haven't since he's become a sixer. And I don't know why. And I clearly, you don't know why it's just something that's super, super weird. I don't know. Do you think that maybe that first part of the last season where he was so good was kind of fluky or what do you, what do you think? I mean, his career numbers suggest that all those numbers were fine. Like the outliers are here. I mean, he shot over 40%. Everywhere he was in 2017-18, and last year, yeah, last year, his combined was just shy of 40, but with the Clippers, it was 43, and here it was 32. Like, it, it, he had a pretty good track. It went up every year, and it was consistently over 40 for, like, two to three years. The one thing I noticed early, and it looked like over the last two games he kind of fixed it a little bit. It didn't really change the results, but just this is just my eye test, the only thing I can think of. I know other people have said this on Twitter too, is it looked like the first couple of games that he was shooting like late. So he was shooting coming down on, on his release, down, yeah. and that's why so many of them were short. And I definitely noticed that as well. I felt like in Phoenix that that was the first game that I watched him and said, okay, it looks like he's releasing at the pinnacle of his jump. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only thing, but that was at least an improvement. Yeah. The only thing I can take from that is obviously he's watching film. He knows it's an issue and, you know, he's conscious of the things that he needs to change and seems to be making the attempt. But at some, at some point, that's just not good enough. At some point you, it's just got to get better. And we can have all the conversations about Ben Simmons shooting and whatnot and what have you, but even if Ben Simmons starts taking shots, if Tobias doesn't shoot a better percentage, it doesn't matter if Ben shoots or not. I don't think Ben shooting changes a whole lot regardless. Right. I, I, I know we agree on that. Yeah. But um, because... my point is if you're going to die on the hill, Ben Simmons shooting would change his offense. You need to understand that even if it would, it doesn't if Tobias it doesn't Harris matter. can't shoot. Yeah. If, if the shooters... Uh, you know, so-called shooters. Shooters got to shoot. Yeah, if they're not going to shoot well, you're not gonna. Yeah. You're not gonna win. Ben it's... will never be the guy that makes that better. Exactly. Ben doing it can potentially maybe open your offense a little bit, but I've I've said from last year, like I don't think Tobias's issues were ever the looks he was getting, and I think the main argument to be made for Ben shooting is that you're gonna get everybody else better looks because he will be more defended on ball. I don't think the issue with Tobias is his looks. Uh, so it's still a concern. Again, hopefully it improves. He seems like a guy that, that works hard and makes improvements. He's improved every year of his career, like everyone has said a million times. Like I said, I already think that I, I've seen minor adjustments to the form. I mean, it's just my guess. I'm not a fucking shot doctor. But Drew Hanlon. Drew Hanlon, shout out. But – yeah, at the, at, at the very least, he is making some improvements else elsewhere uh, in his driving and getting to the rim, which is good. Yeah. Um, but it like imagine how good he would be if his outside shot was also falling. It'd be like it'd be really good for this team and would just make their you know kind of ceiling so much higher. So tomorrow night, or probably tonight, because most of you'll probably hear this on Friday. Sixers will play in Denver again, like we mentioned, without Ben Simmons and. 
they get to f- face Nikola Jokic. We've had takes on Nikola Jokic in the past, and we were talking before we turned the mics on about his struggles this season so far. And, uh, you know, Ty, what, what would you attribute some of those struggles to? I'd say the problem is that he's built a little bit like us. I think that's kind of an issue for him. Uh, you know, a, prof- a professional athlete should probably not look exactly like he does. and Or like we do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I, don't, I don't know. He's just not been, been good. Uh, he was a lot of people's preseason MVP pick. I think you you said he was he. Uh, we talked about value bets for MVP. Like obviously he's not like Giannis and Harden or guys that are the favorites. I think Jokic was somewhere like plus fourteen hundred, plus eighteen hundred. And and I did say on our pre one of the preview pods that I thought that was a good value bet. I thought that his chance to win it was significantly better than those odds. Yeah. Uh, I will stand by that. I, I think absolutely those odds, but you know, maybe maybe they knew this was coming. I mean, the the the, the house always seems to know. Yeah, he's regret. He he's so aver- far he's, also small sample size, but he's definitely yeah. regressed. He's averaging just under 15 points a game. He averaged 20 last year, and he's only shooting 28 percent from three. Which, if I asked you just off how people talk about him, what do you think he shot from three last year? I know that it isn't going to be as good as people might think, but probably, I don't know, 37%. 30. Yeah, not good. 30. Not good. The way people I can't talk about him. believe that. The way people talk about him is like he, it's like this do it all guy, but he legit cannot shoot from the outside. He, I think he had one good year of doing it. Yeah, he shot 40% the year before, just under it. Yeah. Three and a half attempts last season, 30%. Three and a half attempts this season, twenty eight percent. Yeah, I think that's probably the fuck more what out he of is. here with this fat turd. <laughs> I think that's probably more <laughs> what he is. Like, I don't, I don't think he's a good shooter. Clearly I, not. I, that I think that year was probably the outlier. He can't defend. And yeah, I, no, I, steal a, a game and barely half a block. Yeah, just not, not good, not that good. I don't know. A lot of people talking. Oh, who's the best center in the league? I don't. I don't Please think it's keep him. his name out of that goddamn conversation. I, it's, I don't think it's him. Listen, like with the way Carl Anthony Towns was playing before the suspension, like I would hear that conversation now before I would hear Jokic because like Towns' offensive game is unreal, and, and he at least seems like he's trying on the other end. Now. Another another thing about that argument is uh, I saw Ben Dunst said something about this on on Twitter. Shout out Ben. Ben um, man. Yeah, the the way that uh Jokic's teammates like make him look, they make him look a lot better. And then Carl Anthony Towns plays with Andrew Wiggins. Like Yeah. He's probably better than uh like what he's shown just because of how his, his team around him is built. You think the Nuggets would go further this year with Jokic or Towns? Ooh, I don't know. It's spicy. Just I don't ooh, that's really tough. Anyway, so... W- I don't know. They're built around Jokic, so, like... So, struggling Jokic, but no Ben Simmons. We saw Embiid kind of get his form back last night. They kept talking about the altitude on the post game on uh, NBC Sports, and, like, I didn't think any part of that game had to do with his conditioning. Like, Gobert played him well. He still drew fouls and got to the line because he knew that he wasn't going to get it from the field because Gobert plays him well. And that was just the game. I there's there's no point in that game where I was like, okay, Embiid's gassed. He's been out for two games, and apparently, like the altitude also matters in Utah. 
for some reason. Yeah, and then know. they were like, oh, well, the altitude's going to really matter in Denver. And I'm like, I've never heard anybody talk about it in Utah. Although I understand ge- geographically that it is like higher. It's not Denver. Now yeah. he goes to Denver. No Simmons. W- what's your prediction? I think I think uh, Embiid, he's definitely going to score on Jokic. And I, they'll, I'm going to guess that they pull pull out a win here. It's going to be tough, especially with Simmons out. But I think we see a big Embiid game. I think he he'll want to prove something. Hopefully, so I agree. That, that's I, that's my. I always prediction. hark back to that Lakers game he had two years ago. I think where he dropped like forty six. Forty six. Yeah. We really haven't seen that game again. He's had plenty of great games, but that was that was the peak of his career still to me at this point. Like that, he was unstoppable. It was give him the ball. And even through double teams, even through triple teams, like he was getting what he wanted and he was not leaving that building without a win. You start off five and zero, and then lose two straight. And now Ben Simmons isn't playing. Like this is that game. Like you worked out all the, worked off all the rust, got all the kinks out against the jazz and almost pulled it out. Like, you need to go into Denver and establish that you are the best center in the league, that you are a top five player in the league, and you need to go beat them. Like it has to happen. You can't lose three in a row. Yeah, not to be like the you gotta want it more guy. Yeah, but like I don't know. I he think even, I I think Embiid. Did, we I think talked he, about him and Jokic. He doesn't even have to want it more. He's that much better than him. Then I don't even think he has to be the I want it more. He just has to be the guy that knows he's better. Yeah, agreed. I think I think he's just due for a big game too because. You could definitely see with him how he's like an emotional player and and uh, like wears a lot of that on his sleeve. And I think he amps amps himself up for certain games. And hopefully that Nuggets game will be one like that. I think he'll I think he'll put up some good numbers. And hopefully that leads to a win. So after Denver, Sixers get to come home for a little bit. They play Charlotte on Sunday, the first of thirty seven games against Charlotte. They play at home against Cleveland on Tuesday, and then they're back on the road again for three games before a little bit of a home stretch the following week where uh, we get the Knicks, the Spurs, and we get the Jimmy Butler return game and the Mike Scott Hive tailgate, which I'm super, super pumped about. I can't I can't go because I can't go to stupid Xfinity Live. I, I, I probably shouldn't even let you on this podcast. I'm pretty sure you probably should be 21 to be on a podcast about beer. I wonder if I can get in trouble. Ty's not drinking for the record. I swear to God. Yeah, I'm not. I did offer. I'm th- I'm the same age as <laughs> please cu- please don't lock me up. I'm the same age as Jason Tatum. Forever. Only 19. So the only other thing that I had, which we'll get to, is not Sixers related. But before we do that, because this whole episode was really about us being right, I didn't actually get to go to the bad Corkmoss tweets. I read them. Over the mic without it on, because we were working on a little special project before this. I just want to put out a couple Twitter, uh, a couple tweets from people who had the nerve to slander our guy, only to be completely fucking wrong about all of it uh, over the past four games. I won't mention any names, but I thought these were funny. This first tweet was after we lost to Phoenix in a game where Korkmaz scored 20 points and shot 57% from three, mind you. Quote, we gave his, and by his, he's referring to Matisse Thibel. We gave his minutes last night to Furkan Korkmaz and Howell Neto. If you think, who, you are exactly right. They suck. Matisse Thibel can be good, but leave it to Brett Brown to mess this up. Not only 
Does he slander Furkan Korkmaz, who scored 20 points on 57% from three, but he blames everything on Brett Brown, including the fact that he played a backup point guard and Korkmaz over Matisse Thibel, a rookie who has struggled to shoot and cannot handle the ball? Yeah, Furkan and Neto were both good. Like, what's he talking about? I got to report some of these people. That's what I have to start doing. I'm just going to start reporting. Reporting them? them? Yeah. For what, spam? Sure. I think you can just say, like, it's annoying. I think that's one of the the tabs. I don't think it, I think it just lets you block them. It doesn't report it. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it's an option. I'm just going to keep saying it's annoying until Twitter does something. They're like, hey, you you said 130 tweets were annoying, but you didn't block any of these people. (laughs) Uh, What's your agenda? Uh, I want you to delete their accounts. And promote any tweets that are pro Corkmas. And verify me. Uh, another one, I rarely ever say an NBA player sucks because none of them truly do, which I appreciate that. That's actually, that's a pretty good take. Yeah, that's reason. Every guy who's in the NBA is good, but I don't understand how Furkan Korkmaz continues to see the floor for Philadelphia and he ruins it. So you're saying that no player in the NBA is bad except Furkan Korkmaz. When was was that one from? Was that pre-game winner? Was that like even from this year? I'm pretty sure it's from last year. Well, you know, he's wrong. I think that was from April. I think that was when he was mad that he played in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. I forgot he played in the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, that was a little bit weird. But that was in the second round, but He too. played great. Yeah, he was good. He held his own. Exactly. It was okay. He's good. The last one, I'm not going to name any names, but this person does have a podcast. Just going to say it. Furkan Korkmaz, one, is bad. Two, won't even be here next year. And three is bad. This was last season. One, he's good. Two, he's here this season. And three, he's good. Yeah, I think he's you're wrong right. on all three levels. You hate to see it. You know, if you were, you know, I, I'm mostly a baseball guy. If you were calculating his batting average on that tweet, he'd be over three, which is batting zero, zero on zero. the year. Point zero 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 on the year. And what Not are we good. batting on Furkan Korkmaz takes? A thousand? A thousand. One for one. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, that was the baseball segment of the podcast. All right. So this is completely non-Sixers related, but yet completely Sixers related. Uh, we rarely, if maybe have never done this, but I thought that you would be a good person to talk to about this because I am a millennial. I'm not too far from potential boomer. Year-wise, mentality-wise, not not remotely close in almost all things. But you're like 20 years away from being a boomer. What are you talking about? I think it's like eight, isn't it? You're forgetting about Gen X. Yeah, I always forget about Gen X. I was just just about to catch myself. Everyone forgets about Gen X, dude. I'm pretty sure they're all boomers. Quit hating on my parents. (laughs) They're boomers in disguise. (laughs) They're They're boomers that liked Nirvana. They're they're boomers that are posing as millennials. (laughs) Fair. All right, anyway, that is not the point of any of this. There was this viral tweet that went out, and I thought that this this did have some relevance to the sheer culture of, like, Sixers Twitter and sports Twitter in a way, and and even to me and you, technically, kind of in a way. And, like, the fact that you're here at my house right now doing this, it was, why social media friends don't count? Admit it, you hardly know them. In a time of need, you won't turn to them. If the friendship sours, you won't work on it, but block them. I feel like I like I get what they kind of mean, but this sounds like somebody who just like 
has 21 followers and is really mad about it. Like, yeah, this sounds like you just you have no clout. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. You have no clout. Like, I don't know, like a fucking team that other people like. That gets you at least like a hundred. Like, if you just tweet, I like the Sixers, I think you could get a hundred followers. That that sounds like somebody who's just like bagged that they they thought they had a fire tweet and they didn't get any any like engagement on it. That's probably what you know, whoever put that out. Like that there. like that boomer uh comparing the word boomer to a word that i won't say tweet that happened like my response of shut the fuck up boomer got like 368 likes like that that's all it took was a simple response to a tweet going viral and even that just builds your metrics and then like who knows you have a conversation with people but all joking aside like the sixers like sixers twitter is a very special thing i know it's probably a little bit unique but i'm sure there are hundreds of other Twitter or other social media platform subcultures that like have legitimate followings. Like I know that like musicians have like fan clubs or things like that. Like it's all through social media now. It's not like there's like another way that those things happen. Like I would have never like, so we were doing our project earlier and you were asking me about like how I kind of got started and all this. And I mentioned when I wrote for round ball revolution, it was the first Sixers blog that I wrote for, which no longer exists. Like that was a freak chance. Me being at a local music show and running into somebody cause I was wearing a, an ironic Sixers t-shirt. Like that happening in the outside world, in the social media, you know, society that we live in now is like fucking like 0.001 chance. Like that was, absolutely insane that that happened that should not have happened when i decided that i was gonna try and write for the painted lines that was because of twitter that's because i saw it on twitter and then not necessarily through twitter but like whatever that chat app we had like that's still social media i would say like that group chat like you were all in there working together like i have several friends from that like people that i would call my friend like i would call eric martirano my friend i would call you my friend like it's not it's not crazy to think about like i have several text message threads with people that like i've barely ever met like i text with 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 erica and dan uh six sixers twitter will know uh, i text with with brandon after all the time like i just met brandon after in person for the first time a couple weeks ago when he was back home like visiting his parents like went out of my way to go have some beers with him like it's the norm now i don't think it's i don't think that that's like at the time i was like you know this is like a little bit like weird but like it's cool like whatever but like uh, the more i thought about it like people are probably doing this all the time yeah, yeah, seriously, like, even two weekends ago, uh, Johnny Heller is someone who I now write with at Phillies Nation and do my podcast with, but before a month ago, he was just somebody who I was in a group chat with on Twitter, and I knew him from there, and then two weeks ago, I went and hang out, hung out with him, it, like, it isn't that weird, you meet people on online because that's where you spend a lot of your time and that's where you put out your interests and you know dislikes and and things like that like that's how people find stuff out about you that's just the way things are today um i know you know back in the day especially when i was in school your mom was always like don't talk to strangers on the internet and your teachers were like don't talk to strangers on the internet but that's all I do anymore. <laughs> like, all I do is talk to people I don't know on the internet. Like, 
I don't know. It's just the way things are, and yeah, like talking to people not on the internet is super weird for me now. Yeah, it's like just, even even at like work, like in my own office, people I see every day. Like I don't talk to almost anybody at work. I go in, I sit at my desk, I keep my head down, I go home. Yeah, not to like make this some social commentary or anything, but no, like it's it just, it's just how things work, and stop trying to make that weird. Like, <laughs> it's, things evolve. Like I don't know, and it's, and. Like, it's better, like, what? what is the alternative that, like, like, imagine in this day and age, like, I, like I, you know, like, maybe you'll still kind of have to maybe figure this out, little, little, little child, but, like, I go to a bar, like, I don't talk to strangers there. Like, if I went up to a table of people I didn't know, and I was just like, hey, I'm Dan, I like the Sixers, like, one of them would probably hit me, <laughs> or they'd go get security, or they'd do something, like, it, it's not nothing's like tv and movies where strangers talk to each other in public scenarios anymore like yeah you're there with people you know and you leave with those people you know and you only talk with those people you know and odds are those people you know you probably met through social media and decided to go meet at this public place it, well i've never been to a bar because i am underage like but but yeah it's like i don't know you you don't go places like Looking to talk to people. You like if don't I go know. to a Phillies game, I don't talk to the people around. Like like few and far between. Like yeah. something happens and you talk for two minutes. But exactly. like I'm not just sitting there and there's somebody next to me and I'm like I I don't shake their hand and introduce myself. Yeah, it's just like how you meet people and even if you never really meet them, you can still talk to them all the time because you don't have to be physically with people anymore to talk to them. Like I have, you know. Ben, ben Seltzer, who I did my other my old Phillies podcast with, is somebody who I talked to a decent amount, and I met him once. But other other than that, he lives in Tennessee, but we still like talk all the time. And yeah, I don't know, it's just not weird anymore. And old people need to stop trying to make it weird. Dude, like my like I, like my band Kizzy's days. Like I was in a band for eight years. Like toured all stuff. Like met all of them through Craigslist. Like I know that's a little different cuz it's like oh like I'm a drummer looking for a band and they were like looking on there but that was still a it's on the internet and I just randomly took my drums and met people that for all I know could have jumped me and took my drums like still took that chance. Like even though like you know the painted lines or you know at the time Philly front office was like was like a thing like I still didn't know any of these people and very early on cuz I just kind of started the podcast too like Jason Blevins came to my house, had dinner with me and my wife, and did the podcast. Like, Marty Teller, who was on one of our season preview episodes. Like, I, I actually, uh, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure Marty wrote with me at Round Ball, uh, but, like, never have really met him. Like, drove to my house and just came in my basement and did the podcast. Like, you're here now at my house in the basement doing the podcast. Like, it's just how it works now. It's not that weird. Yeah, like, it's, when... When JJ Reddick has now made an Instagram, you know that you know <laughs> oh that it God. isn't weird to have social media. If JJ Reddick is on social media, then apparently it's okay for everyone, and it's safe, and it's fun, and it's good. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Stop telling people how to make friends. Like you probably just have none. Yeah. Come coming from two very popular people, we would just like to make it known that this person has no friends, and that's why they wrote this article. Fucking loser. <laughs> Uh, that <laughs> that's a, that's our social, that's the first time and the last time that we'll have social commentary on this podcast. But it's it's been eating at me. I just needed to get that off my chest because like I, I felt personally attacked. Like like I saw in the uh, 
in the Inquirer article about about uh, Zainab and the and the Mike Scott hive, that the one girl said like she had all this like anxiety about even going because she's like I don't know any of these people like why am I gonna go to a tailgate of a Phillies game to hang with a bunch of Sixers fans and like we're not even going to the Phillies game and I don't know any of these people and like everybody who said that same thing went and had like an amazing time and again that's happening on November twenty third for anybody who doesn't know if you type in Mike Scott Hive on Twitter or anything I'm sure you will find all the information. Uh, I think we've reposted it as well. So you can check at process potables, but like, you know, I, I knew a couple people, but I still had no idea really what to expect. Like, it's just, you know, it's maybe even then, like I thought it was weird, but like the payoff is so great. And like the reward is like, just don't be stupid. Like, you know, like maybe don't go to like a back alley and meet somebody, but like in the middle of the day on a Saturday, in a in a parking lot of the sporting stadiums where there's a, a million people, like think you're gonna be okay. Exactly. Like worst case, you're like, okay, this is kind of weird, and I think I should go home now. And whatever you tried, trying's cool too. Do something out of your fucking comfort zone. Don't be a fucking coward. Have a take. No cowards. Meet meet some friends. Is 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 meeting social media friends like the interpersonal equivalent of having a take um i don't know because i feel like being refusing to meet anyone could be a take too fair enough but then you don't get to complain about other people like you you have the right to not meet people then you don't get to write an article about complaining that people have friends on social media right i guess it also just comes down to this was probably written by someone who doesn't understand social media right I think I think at the end of the day that that's really that's probably the main point. I think the main takeaway of this part is social media good, everyone else bad. I like it. I can get behind that. I think I think that's a good place to end it. Yeah. Ty, appreciate you coming on. Uh, is there any? Do you want to plug your Twitter or anything? Yeah, podcast? yeah. I'll plug. I'll plug my Twitter. You can follow me at Ty Dauber. That's T Y D A U B E R T. Uh, also go subscribe to my podcast. I do a Phillies podcast every week. Um, Apple podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, you know, you, you name it, uh, Phillies nation podcast, go follow or subscribe. I've made it very clear that any takes of Ty's podcast or Ty himself are the official Phillies takes of me and process potables because I don't know enough about them to have my own. So just know that anything that he says either on Twitter or on his podcast is officially our stance on it. Uh, what what did I agree with you today? That I'm on the Cole Hamels bad. Cole Hamels is washed. Cole Hamels is washed? Yeah. And who, who was better than him? Well, uh, Drew Smiley was better Drew in the Smiley, second half of it. last season. I don't know if Drew Smiley would, will be better this year. I was just making a comparison. Okay. Well, Cole Hamels is washed, so... Uh, You can find takes like that and probably have Ty lose more followers uh, by following him on Twitter and check out his podcast. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, please, if you're not already, subscribe, rate five stars, write a review. We are at Process Potables on Twitter, Instagram, and on Tapped. We are a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia podcast network. You can find all things Underground Philly Sports or Underground Sports Philly, Jesus Christ, at Underground PHI on Twitter. And with that, hit the F-Hell music.